0: Years ago, we used to think that the prognosis for aspiration pneumonia was poor. In fact, we used to list it as a primary, potentially fatal complication with post-operative management of cases. Thankfully, with the improvement in quality of care in veterinary medicine, we've debunked this myth. Now the overall prognosis for patients with aspiration pneumonia is excellent with a survival rate of almost 82%. A recent study by Tart and all evaluated 125 cases of dogs with presumptive aspiration pneumonia. This study, along with two other studies by Kogan and all out of UC Davis, reviewed the overall survival and treatment of these critically ill patients. In Tart's study, guess what they found? Tart and all found that aspiration pneumonia is seen with several common underlying causes, including recent general anesthesia, vomiting, laryngeal, pharyngeal, or esophageal dysfunction, decreased mentation, recumbency, ileus, head trauma, seizures, and obesity. In fact, 16% of the dogs in the study had recent anesthesia, and 64% had a history of vomiting. We also often assume that patients presenting with aspiration pneumonia have clinical signs of coughing, fever, and generalized malaise, right? Wrong. The TART study actually found that less than half, in fact only 44% of patients with aspiration pneumonia were febrile. Likewise, coughing was documented historically in less than 50% of patients. What does this mean? Just because your post-operative patient isn't coughing or doesn't have a fever doesn't rule out aspiration pneumonia. So how do we diagnose it? The best way? Radiographs. Tartanol found that the most common lung lobe affected on radiographs is the right middle lung lobe. In fact, 69% of the time, it consisted of an alveolar pattern. This study also found that the more lung lobes affected radiographically correlated with survival. In other words, if only one lung lobe was affected, your patient was more likely to survive. Other clinical pathologic testing for aspiration pneumonia includes evidence of a neutrophilia with a left shift, on a complete blood count, evidence of hypoxemia, either on an arterial blood gas or pulse oximeter, and an increased alveolar arterial gradient, which we diagnose on an arterial blood gas. Ideally, the gold standard test to diagnose aspiration pneumonia is based on culture and sensitivity. Unfortunately, even in Tart and Tartanol's study, the use of endotracheal lavage or bronchoalveolar lavage was only performed 38% of the time in patients. When it was performed, the most common bacteria found were E. coli, mycoplasma, pasturella, and staphylococcus. Almost half of these patients with a positive culture had two or more bacteria isolated, and when multiple isolates were found, both gram-positive and gram-negative organisms were found. What does this mean? I'd pick a broad-spectrum antibiotic, like a combination of ampicillin and enrofloxacin, or amoxicillin and clavulonic acid. Most importantly, how do we treat aspiration pneumonia? In tartanol, 90% of patients were hospitalized, while the rest were treated on an outpatient basis. On average, patients were hospitalized for three days with a range of zero to 11 days. The decision to hospitalize will be patient dependent. Some patients are stable and oxygenating well. In other words, they have a pulse oximeter reading greater than 92%, and they can be treated on an outpatient basis with antiemetics, oral antibiotics, or even subcutaneous fluid therapy. However, others can be more severely clinically affected, requiring mechanical ventilation and oxygen support. In this study, 90% of dogs were treated with IV antibiotic therapy. This is clinically the preferred route in dehydrated, hypoxemic, vomiting hospitalized patients. Other supportive care includes the use of antimedic therapy, fluid therapy, nebulization and copage, and mucolytics. What Tartanol's study did find was that, surprisingly, there was no statistical change in survival with the use of oxygen and antibiotic combinations. They did find, however, that the use of colloids, like Hedastarch, was a negative prognostic indicator. In other words, damaged pulmonary endothelium and vasculitis may result in leakage of the large synthetic molecules out of the damaged capillary endothelium, worsening oxygen exchange in the lungs. For this reason, please avoid head of starch or colloids when treating aspiration pneumonia unless absolutely necessary for hypoproteinemia. So what else did we learn from this study? On average, aspiration pneumonia needs to be treated with antibiotics for a minimum of three weeks. A stable patient should be rechecked clinically and radiographically five to seven days following discharge. If the radiographs are determined to be free of disease, to reduce the risk of microscopic disease repopulation. An additional two weeks of antimicrobial therapy is prescribed. Thus, at minimum, approximately three weeks of antibiotic treatment. Some pros and cons of this study. Well, this study, along with Kogan and all, looks at a huge group of patients with aspiration pneumonia, which has not been reported in veterinary literature up to this point. However, the cons of the study are that it's retrospective in nature. Also, there's a potential for academic bias in terms of patient population, as referral facilities may be more likely to see patients that have worsening illness or more severe disease. Conclusion. Don't give up on those aspiration pneumonia cases. The prognosis is better than once thought. Most importantly, for patient comfort, evaluate the level of hypoxemia with a pulse oximeter to determine if hospitalization is necessary. For me, if the pulse ox is less than 92% and the patient has increased work of breathing, It means the patient needs hospitalization, intravenous antibiotic therapy, fluid therapy, and oxygen supplementation.